right, well, we're finishing up Elijah. And like I said, the reason it kind of fits in what that prayer was all about is that Elijah did some stuff. He did some miracles. He, he saw fire come, come down from heaven. That's what we uh, talked about last week, this great battle that he had with the priests of Baal. They're worshiping idols and other gods. And Elijah came in and just said, you know what, go ahead and try to start a fire. And Elijah started a fire. Whole fire came down from heaven. I mean, it's summertime. How many guys are barbecuing? Anybody? Oh, two people barbecue. Okay, cool. On your next barbecue, pray up. Fast a little bit. See if you can call fire down from heaven. Go, all right, kids, get the s'mores. You'll be the coolest dad ever. But Elijah did this amazing thing. He was on a mountaintop. He, he was expecting victory. But here's the odd thing. Right after that, he went into a low point of his life. And I'm going to say this word. He went into depression. And that's what we're talking about today, dealing with depression. And you're going, Tom, why are you ending this awesome series on this low thing of depression. And um, to be honest with you, this story that we're about to read is one of my favorite stories of Elijah's life. Yeah, you know, I enjoy the great miracles like being fed by birds and the brook and raising a a, a child from the dead. But I love this story. This story because it speaks to me. And so we're going to talk about that. And, And here's the reason why I feel like it's important to talk about it. It's because I think more people experience depression than we know. Maybe in this room, maybe you're experiencing it right now. Here's how I know. Two weeks ago, in that courtyard, I knew I was going to teach about this. Someone came up to me, and he just apologized why he wasn't coming to church. He's like, Pastor Tom, I just want to apologize. I'm so sorry. I haven't been coming to church. And I was like, yeah, no problem, man. I'm glad you're here. And then he said this, because I was in depression. I was depressed. I just wanted, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just isolated myself. I didn't want to come up here and worship God but I made it through, I'm here, and I'm still, he was still struggling with it, but at least he confessed it to me. And I just realized one thing, I'm like, man, there's more people going through it right now, more people than we know. And, and I'm, I'm talking about clinical depression, but I'm also talking about every level of it, of, of the feeling of just sadness. And you, you can't explain it. I talked to someone this week that went through depression, and they said they couldn't control their thoughts. It was almost like just all this negativity. I couldn't stop it. And I was overwhelmed. And it just, it kept them in this cloud. I think a lot of us suffer it. Maybe you have gone through it and you've come out of it. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're going through it now. I think for all of us, there's going to be a time when to some degree we feel this. And so I looked up some synonyms about depression. And um, here's, see if you relate to this, that you felt melancholy or misery Sadness, unhappiness, sorrow, woe, gloom, gloominess, dejection, downheartedness, despondency, dispiritedness, low spirits, heavy-heartedness, discouragement, despair. And I, this, I think this, this last one is probably one of the main words of depression is hopelessness. That you're, you're feeling there's no hope or you're feel, feeling helpless. Like I, 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 I mean, any, don't raise your hand, any control freaks in the house? The guys who laughed are the control freaks. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah, I am. You know, helplessness when things go out of control and you can't control them and you feel helpless and hopeless. I think those are one of the two symptoms of depression. And so uh, why are we talking about this? Well, because like I said, Elijah went through it. And, and what happened? How did he go on the mountaintop and he end up in the lowest part of his life? And in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, it says this. 
when Ahab got home, now just a recap, Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab was the king at the time, and they worshiped Baal. They worshiped another god, and that was what Elijah was fighting against. But when he got home, when Elijah killed all those priests of Baal, and he called fire from heaven, Ahab got home and told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent his message, this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Whoa. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Whoa. How can a hero in the Bible, actually, I would argue one of the greatest heroes of the Bible. I mean, do you guys remember Elijah, when Jesus went into the the mount for the, the, the transfiguration, if you guys know your Bible, right? Who showed up? Moses, who we know about, but the other person was Elijah. These are the two biggest heroes in the Old Testament. And here he is depressed and wanting to die. Now, Anybody depressed just because I'm talking about this right now, <laughs> right? Um, you know what the most comforting thing is? This is what I love, that it's actually in the Bible. Why? Because the Bible doesn't filter it. The Bible lets us know of the good stuff and the bad stuff. It wasn't like Elijah did this, and he had this great victory over all the, the priests of Baal, and let's move on to the next guy. They didn't edit it. They actually put it in the Bible. And you know what that makes me feel? Comforted. Anybody with me? That I'm not alone. That if some guy as big as a hero as Elijah can go through something like that, then that makes me feel better. That I'm not alone. That, you know what, this is something that a lot of us uh, deal with. And so um, what can we learn from him? What can we learn about depression for whatever, whatever degree that is, is how does depression hit? How did it hit Elijah? And if you're taking notes, the first one, how does the depression hit? Number one, burnout. And we get burnout. Anybody workaholic? Anybody can't stop? No one, <laughs> don't have to raise your hand, right? I, I, the, probably the control freaks are the same people, right? You're workaholics and you can't stop and you got to get it done and you got to make sure that you get your tasks done and get the promotion, get all that. And, you, and, and I, I can be a workaholic. I can turn into a workaholic. And you know what that can lead to? Burnout. And we look at Elijah's life and we just did a three weeks full of what he did. For years, he was fighting Ahab and the priests and, the, and, and making sure that God was worshiped, but it took this drought and him being fed by ravens and going to the woman and raising the kid from the dead and fighting the priests and calling fire from heaven. He did all of this. And here's the one thing. All that work didn't even work. Think about it. It didn't even work because his goal was to get Israel back into worship. My expectation, and I believe Elijah's expectation would be, wow, man, God, you did this? You did this miracle? Right now, Ahab and Jezebel, they're going to bow down and go, Elijah, we're so sorry. Your God is the real God. Elijah, you are a true prophet. Did that happen? Nope. Because Elijah expected 
that this miracle would shut Jezebel up. It actually ignited her fury. And Jezebel said, if you're not dead by tomorrow, I hope the gods I worship will kill me. It's kind of like she showed faith in her own gods and said, oh, bring it on, Elijah. And Elijah ran in fear. Think about something that you have worked at, spent time in, invested in years going, and you wanted this exact result, and it didn't happen. Man, imagine how discouraging that is. Maybe some of you guys have experienced that. I have. I've done a lot of work and didn't get the result that Tom expected, and that was frustrating, and that was discouraging. And I could feel myself going into burnout. I, and, I, and to be honest with you, I did. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys were here around then, but I was like, I approached burnout. And I had to take a three-month sabbatical because I was working so hard for the Lord, and I was doing, 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 and not seeing the result. And I got a little discouraged, and it, it hit me. So that's one, burnout. Number two is that you isolate yourself. Elijah did the same thing. In verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba and a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And so I want, I want you to catch this because you might miss it. Beersheba was a town 80 miles away from where he was. So he had to travel. So isolate, like, here's all the people that, um, that are in my life. I'm going to get 80 miles away from them. Then he did this. He says he took a day's journey into the wilderness, leaving his servant in the town. Now, this is me. This is how I interpret this, that he just told his servant, hey, man, Hey, can you just stay here? And he just walked into the wilderness. I can, I can just see Elijah just bummed out, depressed, and he's just like, hmm, where should I go? There's some trees. Here I go. And he just starts walking for a day. How, where is the most isolated place? Where can I get away from everybody? Because I don't want to see anybody right now. And I believe burnout can do that for you. Why? Because I experienced it. I remember when I was on the verge of, I was in burnout. And I'm a pastor, which means my job is to deal with people. And I remember those Sundays I was coming, and I had church face. I had, ah, praise the Lord. Hi, brother. How can I minister to you? I'm ready to fall off a cliff right now. You know, I was like, my eyes are cross-eyed. I can't even think because I couldn't even think. I couldn't, and so I couldn't handle people, right? It wasn't like I, I didn't like you guys. I just, my brain was somewhere else, and I needed a break. And so I isolated myself. And who are, who are you shutting out of your life right now? And I, I want to make a difference because you can make an argument, well, Jesus isolated himself. Jesus went into the wilderness. And I want to argue that to say, you know what? Jesus went into w- the wilderness to, to replenish himself so that when he had to minister to people, he was a lot better and be- a lot stronger. Does that make sense? He recovered himself. He hung out with God the Father. And then, okay, now I'm ready to go back. Elijah was just running away. He was avoiding all of his problems, so he isolated himself. The third thing is we focus on the negative. We focus on the negative on the way to depression. Um, Here's Elijah saying, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And uh, this, this line reveals so much that Elijah believed, number one, that he was worthless. Take my life. Why? I'm no better than my ancestors. This is Elijah. Like I said, arguably the greatest prophet that lived in the Old Testament. He was cut above everybody else. The miracles that he did, 
man, it was, it was amazing. But he's like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm worthless. And he's feeling he's a failure. Why? Because all that work didn't even work. All that stuff God told him, it's like, well, why am I doing this anyway? I'm going to spin my wheels like this, and all they're going to do is just worship Baal anyway. I'm not going to do it. So he felt like a failure. He felt worthless. He was believing these lies. He's focusing on the negative. And it, interesting enough, I read an article, article this week about first responders, about firefighters who were suffering PTSD. And they interviewed one of the firefighters. And get, how's this? He says this. Thoughts of all the horrible calls I went on were coming back, he said. I began to isolate and withdraw. Thoughts of ending my life were popping up, and I realized I needed help. Wow. What's this, what's this guy's name, Elijah? Like, he sounds just like him. He's saying the same exact things. Take my life. I, don't, I, I had these weird thoughts of taking my life, and I realized I needed help. And so here's what, what hit me was what Elijah suffered. Man, a lot of us can fall into that. We, we can be there. And, um, and, and those negative things and those negative thoughts can cloud our mind. Number four is how we get to depression is to forget about God. Elijah forgot about God. And you're wondering, where is that in that scripture? Well, it's obvious. Elijah was fed by birds. He prayed for someone to come back to life, and they came back to life. He called fire from heaven, and fire came. But in that moment... He got overwhelmed, and he prayed a prayer, God, kill me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But I relate to this, and I hope you guys relate to, to, to it too, is that I've forgotten about God. Man, I've been a Christian a long time, since the 80s. Long time. I've seen God do miracles, like miracles, awesome stuff, monuments of my life that has built my faith. But I've been also in that, that place where everything just overwhelmed me and those things don't even matter anymore. They're kind of irrelevant in that moment. And I forget about God. I forget about his protection. I forget about his faithfulness and get caught up in that. And we do the same thing. Um, all right, who wants to move on to the good stuff? Anybody? Please, Tom, you're killing me. It's like, this is depressing. How do we deal with depression? How do we get out of it? And what are the clues that we can get from Elijah? And like I said, this is one of my favorite stories of Elijah. It's a beautiful story of not how he dealt with it, but how he dealt with it with God. Amen? That God was with him, and he didn't abandon him. And, 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 and some of us think God has abandoned us in our depression. And I want to say, no, he is with you. Amen? So here's the one thing we can learn from, from Elijah's life, okay? Um, uh, number one is that we would eat and rest. Eat and rest. Now you're thinking, that's pretty simple. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Because I like to eat and I like to rest. But I want to say one thing. When you're caught up in those kind of moments, and I have been, some of the toughest things to do is to eat and to nourish yourself and to sleep. I remember in some of the, one of the lowest times of my life, I lost like 20 pounds, I'm 5'2", guys. 20 pounds. I was a little heavier back then, but it really kind of balanced out. But uh, I remember it was one thing. Like, I couldn't eat. I wasn't hungry. I was too stressed out. I was too overwhelmed. And here's uh, Elijah in verse 5. He says this. Uh, it says this. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But he was, uh, as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And I believe this is exactly what Elijah needed. He needed some rest, and he needed some food to recover himself. He needed to focus on nothing else, no to-do list, just eat and rest. And um, here's a note that I want you to catch in this because you might miss it. That God didn't rebuke, correct, or condemn Elijah. Think about that, right? God could have, hey, Elijah, what's your problem? Get up. Go do the work I've called you to do. What's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you running away in fear? What's going on? Right? And a lot of us look at God like that, like he's looking at us and ready to scold us and condemn, condemn you and me. And I wanted to say this, this is the one scripture that I love, that in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Amen? Some of you guys, you guys got to know that. And I love in Elijah's lowest point, in his, the lowest point of faith in his life, God didn't scold him, rebuke him, or, or condemn him. God took care of him. Isn't that cool? That he was sleeping. Oh, cool, food. <laughs> Water. Angels caring and taking care of me. And I believe that's, that reveals a characteristic about our God that we have to know. That in, in the lowest of our lows, he's with us, number one. He loves us and cares for us in a gentle way. He's not, get up, come on, hurry up. He's walking through us and healing us and restoring us. I think you, got, you have to know that it's pretty cool. And, and then here's the thing about rest. Some of us got to learn how to rest because we don't know how to rest. You know what rest to us means? Oh, I took a couple of days off, but I'm checking my email and all my texts and I'm thinking about what I'm not doing and I'm like, oh, I'm stressed out the whole time. Is that, sorry, is that too intense for you guys? But how many guys, don't raise your hand, how many guys rest like that? That rest is not real rest. You know what real rest is? When you let God take control. And you allow him, you, you, you allow yourself to think, man, the world can fall apart without me. <laughs> it's okay. Because I, I, here's kind of the, the reality is, is that we think, people need me. People, I'm the only one that can do that. And we're stressed about it. And, and all we're doing in our rest and our days off when we're trying to escape or get some recovery is just thinking about work. Amen? Anybody there? Because I was there. I went on that sabbatical when I, I got burnt out. I was in Alaska on a cruise. You think that's the greatest place to rest? I couldn't, I couldn't rest. I had to reprogram. It took me a month, um, a month to reprogram my whole mind to go, you know what? God, you're in control. And you know what it took too? It took God to tell me, Tom, I got this. Don't worry about it. Let it go. I read a, um, there's an amazing book called um, Leading on Empty by Wayne Cadero. And this is an awesome quote. He says this. It's good for us to wean ourselves of the need to be needed. That sometimes we're, we're addicted to the, 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 the need to be needed. It's like, oh, they need me. I'm important, all that. And Wayne, Wayne Cadero is just saying, it's good to let that go and go, God, you're in control. That's real rest. Uh, number two, what did he do? 
to deal with his depression. He uh, replaced the lies with the truth. That's what we need to do, replace the lies with the truth. And in verse 8, it says, so he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And I want to talk about this context too. So God replenished him, and he told him, get up and go to Mount Sinai. Well, if you do your homework, Mount Sinai was about 200 miles away from where he was. 200 miles. It was a 40-day journey. And I think that's an important note for this one fact, that God didn't restore Elijah immediately from his depression, that it took a process, that I believe God can heal you just like that, boom, and give you hope and joy, and you can walk in with, with, with happiness and, and no depression. But I also believe this, that sometimes it takes a, a process, Amen that it wasn't immediate, that it took a 240-day journey for him. I can imagine Elijah just walking and kind of wrestling with God. Like, why do I have to go here? God, this sucks. I don't like this. And can I say this? It's okay to wrestle with God, amen? It's okay. And I believe there's a, there a time of him just, just communicating and just, okay, why, why are we doing this? And then he went, and he went to Mount Sinai. And this is one of the most amazing things, that he went into this cave. Now, you know what the cool thing about it is? I was reading some commentaries, and this quite possibly could be the same cave that Moses was in when he saw the glory of God. Do you guys remember that story? In, uh, in Exodus 33, Moses had the audacity to ask God, God, I want to see your glory. And you know what God's answer was? This is Tom's version. You can't handle my glory. A few good men. Jack Nicholson, that's God. Um, you can't handle my glory. So God told him, you know what? I'm going to show it to you, but you can't handle all of me. Go into that cave, and I'm going to show you my back. So God went past the cave and went like this. Boom! Yeah, take that. And, God, and Moses experienced the glory of God, just a part of it. He couldn't handle the rest of it. And this quite arguably could be the holiest place on earth because here's Moses when he met with God. Well, guess where Elijah found himself? In a cave in Mount Sinai. Quite possibly the same cave where Moses saw the glory of God. Now, why is that important? Because what can cure our depression is a hunger for the presence of God. Because that was the clearly one of the most manifest presence of God spots on earth, and Elijah found himself there for God to speak, that he can meet and experience God. And, um, and then God asked him a very simple question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I have a question for you. Do you think God did not know why he was there? Of course he knew. He's God. But why did he ask? And I like this. Because I believe God was going, what are you doing here, Elijah? Because he wanted Elijah to vent and to talk about it and to express his feelings. God basically had a connect group with Elijah, you know? 
It's like, hey, let's sit down. Hey, how are you doing this week? Not so good, you know? And Elijah, in his answer, revealed a lot. He said this, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but... And the point is, he replaced the lies with truth. Well, the lie that he believed was, I've been serving you, God, for a long time, zealously. But, you know what he was saying in that but? Your plan didn't work. So the lie number one is, God's plan doesn't work. God's purposes doesn't work. I've worked really hard at it, and it didn't get the results that I expected. That was lie number one. Then he said this. He says, I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Lie number two, he was alone. He basically said, I am the savior of the world, and the the nations of Israel, uh, worship of you, God, is on my shoulders. That's another lie. You're going to find out he wasn't alone, that there were 700 people that did not bow to those other gods. And there was Elisha, if you know the story, right? There was his predecessor that was yet to come that was going to finish the job for him. It's okay. He was not alone, but Elijah was stuck in this cloud of negativity. He says, I'm alone, and God, your plan doesn't work. How many of you guys have been there? Maybe you're there right now. God, your plan doesn't work. I hear this sermon on purpose and mission and making a difference and all that. Your plan doesn't work. God, I'm all alone. You're not even with me. How many of you guys believe that? That lie that needs to be replaced with the truth. And how did Elijah replace that, those lies with the truth? Well, it leads up to number three. Is that you would listen to God's still small voice. That you would listen for God's still small voice. In 1 Kings Uh, That verse 11 says this, go out, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the uh, Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now I love this. This is the this is part I love the most. That Elijah was in the most, probably the most holiest place. And he was waiting for God to speak And then the wind came and the earthquake came and the fire and God was not in that. And he spoke into a gentle whisper to to Elijah. And I love this because I've been in some pretty low spots in my life. Whether it was depression or anxiety or just burnout, whatever it is. And I didn't like any of those moments. I didn't like it, but I hold them dear to my, my heart. You know why? Because in the lowest of my lows, I heard God's still voice talk to me. And he said some amazing things. So those lowest points of my life has now become some of the precious moments of my life. Because I heard God. And I walked with God in it. And I believe Elijah did that. And it's pretty amazing because it's such in contrast to what Elijah was used to. If you read all the story, it was, all he saw was huge miracle after huge miracle after man grandiose thing in his life, fire from heaven, all of that. He saw it all, 
right? And so he's like, wind, earthquake, I've ah, seen that before. And then God spoke in a way that really spoke to Elijah's heart. This contrast of, hey, I'm here. And you know what the, the cool thing? Because, and I hope you know God's voice and that you can hear that still voice. But God over the years has t- told me many cool things. But there's an overriding thing that God always told me in the midst of those different things. You know what he always say? And you know what I got out of it was? I love you, Tom. You're precious to me, Tom. Tom, don't worry about it. I got you. Some of you guys need to hear that right now. God loves you. You're precious to him. And he's got you. Don't worry about it. And I believe Elijah experienced that in some shape or form because he saw all the other stuff and then he heard the gentle whisper. And I love this picture that he like, oh, there's God, okay. And he got out and he covered his face because he's like, this is holy ground now. And he's just like, okay, okay, God, what do you, and I believe that moment was life-changing for, 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 for Elijah. And I want to say this, because I talked to someone who dealt with depression. And sometimes it's like, you know, you get the Christian, you get people with good intentions. And you go, have you been reading the Bible? Have you been going to church? Right? And I think that uh, the last thing that Elijah needed was a Bible verse or a message on joy. Anybody with me on that? And what he needed was a personal experience with his God. He needed this personal interaction to go, I am precious. I am loved. And then because of that personal interaction, I believe those lies that he believed got cast out of his brain. Right? In 1 John, uh, it says this, perfect love casts out all fear. That when you realize the perfect love of God, it dispels lies in your head. And it casts out fear in that way. Does that make sense to you guys? That when, when God speaks to you in that small voice. So I want to encourage you. Go, go, go make yourself available to God. Go find a spot. Go find a mountain. Go find a beach. Go, find, go get a cup of coffee and listen to the voice of God to, to allow him to speak to you. Amen? It's, a, it's one of the most amazing things. Um, and the last thing. It's my time. Um, n- number four is. Uh, how do we cure depression? How do we deal with it? Uh, this might sound weird, but go do what you do. Okay, what do I mean by that? In 1 Kings, verse 14, it says this. He replied again because God asked him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Asked him a second time. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazal to be king of Aram, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel uh, Mehola, to replace you as my prophet. Every, uh, anyone who escapes from Hazal will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. So here's God, I, I believe, had a moment with Elijah and then finally going, okay, 
Now let's get back to work, right? Now God had this, now Elijah had this experience of like, okay, go back to work. And what, I believe this, that God was saying, Elijah, go back doing what you love doing. Go back to do what I called you to do because it's your passion and it's your joy. And in the middle of depression, I don't know, I don't know if you've dealt with it before or, or massive anxiety or you're feeling overwhelmed. You know what's the number one thought in your mind? Yourself. Right? Because you get overwhelmed with, I suck. I'm unworthy. I'm a failure. You just replay those things in your mind and you get stuck in this little world. And the best thing that could cure that is to not think about yourself anymore. That's why I love serve day, right? Because we spend a lot of our year thinking about ourselves. Anybody? Right? We're pretty selfish. Okay, let's admit that. Not me, right? This one day out of the year, we go, hey, don't think about yourself. Go serve some other people. Go mow someone's lawn. Go bake some cookies to, for the military police. You can give them. It's okay, right? <laughs> okay, maybe not. Um, go, go do some. Go, go, go be the hands and feet of Jesus because here's, here's why. Doing God's work and making a difference for Jesus is one of the most satisfying, most gratifying, most things you can do for yourself. Can I get an amen for that? Because when, when you start doing it in, in a very selfish way, it makes you mad. It, you're in the sweet spot of God's love when you're Jesus' hands and feet. Amen? Go do what you do. And he went to go do it. Um, and here's, I'm going to end with this because I, I, I don't want to end a, a series on Elijah without mentioning this, but I think it definitely relates. Is Do you know that Elijah is one of the few people in the Bible that didn't die? You guys know that? that when he went back and started doing the work for the Lord and he discipled Elisha and he was cruising with Elisha and he's like, okay, cool. And then one, and then a chariot from heaven came down and Elijah got on the chariot and he just went up to heaven. And he was gone. He was one of the, uh, the other, uh, the only other person was Enoch, right? If you know your Sunday school, right? And Elijah, just another, another incredible miracle of his life that happened. But here's how it relates to this story. Do you guys remember what Elijah prayed in the lowest of his lows? What did he pray? Take my life. Kill me, God. And it's pretty cool to think that God told him, nah, I got something better for you. Guess what? You're not going to die. <laughs> Ever. I is that cool? That here's Elijah, the man of prayer who called fire from heaven, who raised a child from the dead through his prayers. God answered those prayers. He said a prayer, God, kill me. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. I got something better for you. You're not going to die. I'm going to take you up into heaven. And how does that relate to me and you? Is here's the cool thing. A lot of us, have prayed and said some stupid things. We've had some stupid prayers. I've prayed some stupid prayers. Lord God, I don't want to do ministry anymore. I quit. I can't do this anymore. I pray that. Maybe another thing you say is, God, 
This marriage is over. End this thing. On a more serious note, God, take my life. That you've had thoughts of suicide. And I don't, I don't want to get too heavy here. But on Friday night, after this sermon, someone came up to me and said, I thought about killing myself today. And he heard something. He heard God tell him, wait for tonight. And he heard my sermon. And he confessed to me his thoughts, and I prayed with him. What's the stupid thing you've prayed and that you've told yourself or you've said in the lowest moments of your life? Because I have one message for you. I believe God is going to give you a holy no and say, nah, I got something better for you. I got something better for your marriage. I got something better for your finances. I got something better for your life that you want to take away. I got, so, I got a plan and a purpose and a mission that I want to accomplish. I got something better for you. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you for everyone here, God. I don't know where everyone's at. Maybe, maybe a majority of us are having a great time and have, happy July 4th and, and you're doing great stuff and we've got joy in our hearts, but maybe some of us are going through some depression right now, something heavy in our hearts, dealing with stuff, anxiety. I don't know, God. But here's the one thing. Everyone here needs to know two things. They need to know who you are and what you think of us and what you think of me. Lord, I pray that you would reveal more of your love and your care and who you are and your characteristics to us. And Lord, you would reveal also, too, what you think about us. Who are we to you? That we're precious and that we're loved and that you got us covered, God. For those of us who are here that are, are suffering depression right now, Lord, I pray that you would lift their heads, lift their spirits, lift their souls. Get, start them on a journey to walk with you so that you can care and, and restore them back to health, God. I pray that. With all eyes closed and head bowed, I just want to give an opportunity for anyone here to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. To say to him, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again from the grave three days later. Jesus Christ died for you. When I say that Jesus has said, I love you, well, one proof of that is because he sent his only son to die for me. And all he asks from you is to believe that and to acknowledge it and say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you're, for, you're forgiving my sins. And because of that, I want to give you my life. I want to say yes to you, Jesus. If you want to say a prayer like that, I want you to join me in that prayer. I'm actually going to lead you in a prayer. You just hitchhike off of my words to Jesus himself. Maybe this is the first time you've said a prayer like this. Maybe this is a rededication. Either way, I want to pray with you if you want to pray with me to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But can you do me a favor before you do that? Can you tell me? 
Can you tell me by raising your hand right now, does anybody want that, to pray to Jesus this morning, that you want to give your life to him because he died on the cross for you? Anybody here? Do I see anybody? Anybody? Lord Jesus, I don't see anybody, but I I pray, Father God, that you've been walking people on a journey with you, God. That you've welcomed people here that might not even know you. I pray that they will get to know you, God. The God that I know that's so loving, so caring. We thank you, praise you in Jesus' precious name. We all pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, let's give the Lord a hand.